Good morning, church. You made it. It's a lot of people who didn't make it, but you, you weathered the storm. You weathered this balmy Sunday morning to be here to worship. You know, I was loading up uh, the family this morning into the car, and there was a lot of water on my face. I'm not sure if it was sweat or tears. Either way, it was frozen, so it doesn't really matter. All right, church. We just invite you to worship with us this morning. And hopefully that joy of the Lord will warm me up as we continue to, to venture out together. Amen. Amen.
don't see it, you work. Even when I don't feel it, you work it. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, oh, sing it out. Even when I don't see it, you work. Even when I don't feel it, you work it. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you work it. Church, let that rise. We make a miracle. Amen. That's who he is. Our way maker. I want to share something with you, church. I'm going to Philippians 4. You know, there are seasons in our lives where we may deal with anxiousness, uncertainty. You know, it's a new year, and a lot of us like to make resolutions. But for some of us, it may leave us feeling anxious, you know, worried. This is a new year. What to expect, you know? So I want to encourage you with this because it's been encouraging for me. Um, how many people are familiar with Philippians 4.13? Yeah, you usually see it a lot with athletes, but I'm not going to go that direction with it. <laughs> the key here, right, is to be content in all circumstances. You know, Paul, he was in prison, and when he was in prison, he found contentment by looking to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we should pray during this time, church. It's a new year. If you're feeling I encourage you to, to pray to God and to really seek him, to allow him to give you direction. Because when you do that, it says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in that church, we also have to fix our thoughts, right? You know, I've been very convicted these past few weeks about the content I've been consuming. You know, there's, there's just so much out there in a world full of knowledge, in a world full of just instant um, information. It can be hard to sift through the truth, to sift through what's actually good. So finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So church, I encourage you, if you are feeling anxious, right, you know, we have a list of things right here that will bring life to our souls. So I'm going to jump down to... Let's go to verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, we may be feeling a little short in our ability to move forward. But that's okay. Why? Because of Jesus. You know, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So it's okay to feel a little weak, church. But here's the encouragement. To look to God. To look to Jesus. Forever all my days I 
give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. And I will love you, Lord, my strength. I will love you, Lord, my shield. And I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will love you, God. situation even when we're weak hallelujah hallelujah you reign God over every circumstance you know, Lord, we believe that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the risen King, the blessed Savior, our friend, our brother. We love you, Lord. Lord, help us to look to you. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as we continue to run this race, God. Help us keep in step with your Holy Spirit because we need you, God. We need you more than the air we breathe, more than the water we drink, God. You are so precious, and we love you. Prepare our hearts, Lord God, to receive the word that Mark's prepared for us, and even warm us up a little bit, God. Let your joy warm us up this morning because it's a little cold. <laughs> In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated, church. I think this storm's getting ready to roll. I feel a faith that is starting to rise. And I see the world on the edge of revival. I think it's only
My name's Roland. I'm one of the leaders. Good morning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hope Coffee is one of the ministries we get to support here at Rethink. And because of your generosity, we get to make an impact around the world with people who need medical care, education, jobs. Uh, it's just amazing that we get to partner with them. And so thank you guys for your generosity. With uh, How many guys are just holding on now, man? It's like, <laughs> it's cold. we got the sunshine, but it's like, I have to put everything in little parts. Like, okay, we got uh, Dr. King Day, Super Bowl Sunday, Valentine's, <laughs> Cashmere Pulaski Day. And that goes into, you know, Kashmir Pulaski. You will catch me with my Polish flag on that day. Um, I got to put it in little sections because then I get to spring break and it's like okay again, right? Uh, if you're new here, we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, if you're visiting today, thank you guys for coming to worship with us, getting out in the cold. Um, we would like to meet with you guys at the guest services area after church just to know why you came, your name, uh, just give you a smile. We have a gift for you, so... Thank you guys for braving the cold and coming out this morning. Uh, Mark and Heather have books out there in the auditorium. If you want their free books, um, ministry books, they didn't read all the books. They read a lot of books. They didn't read all those books. But if you want to take those books, they're free. Uh, otherwise, they're going to be donated. And speaking of Mark, it's his birthday today. His birthday. His birthday today. He loves gift cards. He loves... So, yeah, let's celebrate. Man, I learned a lot from Mark. So I, we, we all appreciate Mark, and happy birthday. It's his birthday today. Um, all right, so that's it. And we get to generosity, giving. Uh, God asks a lot from us. We believe 2024 is going to be a great year, right? We're right? <laughs> a lot's going to happen this year. Uh, it's going to be a great year. God is calling us to partner with him in our generosity and our giving um, and he's going to ask you to do bold, amazing things this year. And um, sometimes we don't like to ask those tough questions like, God, how do you want me to be giving this year? We don't really want to hear his answer, <laughs> right? This is a tough question. Um, God, how do you want me to be giving this year? And John Wesley has a quote. I want to read it exactly. Earn all you can without hurting your soul, your body, or your neighbor. Save all you can, cutting off every needless expense. Give all you can, be glad to give, and be ready to give. So earn all you can without hurting your soul, your body, your neighbor. Save all you can with, by cutting needless expenses, and give all you can by being glad and ready to give. Um, this is something we can live by. 15% of Jesus' teachings is about finances and giving. Uh, there's over 2,000 different verses about giving and finances in the Bible. So it's important to God, um, our relationship with giving, with taking care of each other, with uh, our finances, our, how we value money, our relationship with money. All that is important to God. And he asks us to give. He wants us to partner with him. We've been talking about that in our, our new series, that God didn't just create us to be drones. He didn't create us to be robots. He wants us to partner with him. And part of that is with our finances. So there's a couple ways you can give here at Rethink. Uh, you can go to rethinkchurch.cc, click the Give tab, and give that way. Uh, there's a black box in the back by the double doors. You can also give that way. So again, thank you guys for braving the cold this morning. Mark has an amazing message for us, so lean in.
Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to church. My name is Mark at the pastor of our church. My family and I moved here a few years ago. Actually, I think it's this week is six years or whatever it is that we started our church. So there's that. But um, we didn't have an office for a long time because I was like too cheap to pay for internet. So I went to Starbucks a lot. And uh, there's a barista there <clears throat> who just had a great personality and got to like know her and stuff like that. And Anna, thank you for having a conversation saying, hey, what's it look like to lead worship? in a church you know no one in and stuff like that. So God's story, the way that he wove uh, the coals and the all work together is pretty sweet over cups of coffee. So it's a great thing to do. So, um, yes. <laughs> but, <clears throat> so, Anna is pregnant, and we get to celebrate Anna and the whole Cole family. So there is, I don't know what this word, this term is, but a sprinkle. It's not a shower. So here's what I'm going to require of you. Uh, there's some, maybe some pictures up here. Register, RSVP, whatever it is. Give them cold hard cash as much as you can and celebrate them well and stuff like that and I bet you some diapers but don't give them all just the newbie diapers like think about the whole diaper stage parents right so like you have the two t's all that other stuff think about like in six months they're going to need some diapers in that time frame as well so catch with get with them kind of diapers and stuff like that but give them all the cash you want um just give them all the cash you want gift cards and all that diapers and stuff like that so there's that. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to be in Genesis uh, chapters 1, and we'll read part of that as well as we get into it. But here in America, we have this amazing, weird relationship with royalty, specifically English royalty. Can't understand it. Uh, I remember we were in Florida at the time. We lived in Florida, and our friends had this watch party for the royal wedding that took place in that time frame. Like, because of the time change, they got up in the middle of the morning and the day, or sorry, in the middle of the night, got dressed up wear all these stupid hats and like watch the royal wedding and I was like you know we fought two wars to get away from England right why are we so fascinated with the kings and the queens and the princes and the princesses? like this is stupid right uh, <clears throat> and I still have that vantage like, viewpoint so I don't think it's necessarily a great thing that we should do but we do and if you look at Disney plus how many princes and princesses do we see all the time right and I think there's part of it something deep down inside of us we don't necessarily want to say it all loud but I think we, we understand that we're actually meant to rule. There's royalty in us that we don't necessarily get. Uh, we're going to read part of Gen the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. This is coming out of uh, Moses writing this down hundreds of years later. And he's writing the account down. This has all been passed down uh, verbally or oral tradition. And then Moses is like, we should really write this down for the generations, right? That way we have this whole thing. So when we look at the Bible, what you're actually looking at is technology coming into practice like the written language into how I actually wrote this stuff down is like, whoa, that's fascinating. Um, I took an entire class last year about how the New Testament, act, like the actual, like we type everything out, how they actually would write a letter out and that stuff. And it was this fascinating class of like how you'd hire somebody, how you'd do this and stuff like that. So when we read this, here's what we're going to read. We're just going to read through it. Um, but Moses writes this down. It's his oral tradition that he writes down. And here's what it says, Genesis chapter 1. This is the sixth day of creation. He said this, let's make mankind in our image and in our likeness. This is verse 26, sorry. Uh, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock and the wild animals, and all over all creatures along the realm around the ground. And then God created mankind in his image, in his own image, and he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blesses them on the same day. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, 
rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the <clears throat> living creatures that move across the ground. Verse 29, it says this, I give every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and the trees and the fruit in it, uh, and they will be yours. And the beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky, the creatures that move along the ground, everything in the breath uh, that has life in it and all that. And he gives, I would give all the plants to you. And God saw that he made them, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, that was the sixth day. Uh, verse, sorry, the, seven, the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array, but on the seventh day God finished the work and he, that he was doing, and on the seventh day he rested from all of his work. And then the God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because he rested on that day uh, in the work of creating. Now, he wasn't tired, he wasn't anything like that, but he just wanted to enjoy it. This is part of this idea of when we talk about Sabbath, when we talk about the day of rest or the day that we stop, and all that. It's not just a day to sit around and veg out. Heather and I have this conversation all the time because she enjoys creation way different than I do. She likes to walk. I like to play Xbox. Uh, it's the day that I play Call of Duty, and I'm old, and I'm, I do not want to play multiplayer because that nine-year-old kid who's going to shoot me and be like, ha-ha, I killed you, I'm going to get pissed, and he can't do anything about it. So I want to play the predetermined computer version of the campaign, and that's all I want to do. So I do it for like an hour, and I'm good. I've got my little, like, I'm rested, right? Sometimes I'll work out, sometimes I won't work out. Heather wants to go on walks with her dog. Great, enjoy it. Uh, and so we have rhythms and routines to all of this. And so part of us, part of what we have to understand is when it comes to a Sabbath day, it's not just a day not to work. It's a day to rest, to re, like rejuvenate, recharge your batteries, but also to enjoy the creation of God, however that works, right? So maybe you should probably detox. Maybe killing people on Call of Duty is not my best way to enjoy that process, but <clears throat> it is what it is, right? So now I used to like I used to play for hours on end and not care about it. Now I realize I should probably like hour that hour time frame. That's good enough and stuff like that. So in here, what we see is we see two two realms of that that are created: God's space, which is heaven, and the humanity space, which is earth. And what does God tell humans to do? Rule the fish of the sea and all that to subdue the earth. Now here's the beautiful and the complexing part. He leaves all this raw material within the earth and then he tells us as humans to subdue it with no instruction manual. We have no clue what minerals are safe, what like components are safe. We're just supposed to experiment, play around with stuff and hope for the best, right? And we've done some amazing things as humans. We've done some amazing things. Now, in this space, there's this, what we see in Genesis chapters one and two, is there's a garden where these spaces overlap. God wants to be with his creation. He does not want to be separate. He does not want to be like in this, like I grew up with a dad who just was gone after a year old, and I viewed God that way for a long time. That God set everything into place, and then he just left, and he's like, I'll check in on like holidays and the weekends. How about that? You know what I mean? Like that's kind of how I viewed God. But really God wants to be with his people. And what we see here. It's in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 that it's in the, in, the, in the garden is where this takes place, right? Now, when he says to subdue this in the Hebrew language, it's not to rule over it like an iron, with an iron fist. It's actually to, to capture the potential of the creation. That we think about, like, how, are we capturing the potential of creation? Or are we just simply going through the motions of things sometimes, right? Like, we have all these technological advances, but are we capturing the potential of creation to, this, to the best of, that we can. Now, um, <clears throat> reasons why we do this is going to be different. 
don't we want to accomplish something and have our name attached to it and be like, man, look how great I had this. Like, I did all this work. Like, how many of you guys have like, had that false humility moment where you're like, it's all God's glory and all that, and you're like, you really deep down, you're like, yes, I finally got recognized, right? Like, there's nothing, there's something wrong. It's, just, it's this weird feeling where you don't want to take the recognition, but at the same time, is there really anything wrong with saying, yep, I did, I did all the work, I did this, and God gave me the ability to do this? It's this weird tension that we have, and you have to kind of learn, and okay, what's the situation, all this, and then you get to just play this out situation by situation. But here's the deal. As humans, we love to get a recognition and we love to, like, there's part of our self-identity that's part of there, that's, that's driven in there. But when we do this thing just for our own glory and our own name, over and over and over again, there's something wrong, right? If you just look at history, you see eugenics. What the, the purpose of eugenics was not so that all humans could be equal, right? And so that whoever was in power, the race would be over the other races for their name's sake. And what we see this over and over again is people constantly try to do this. I'm going to read in Genesis chapter uh, 11 for us real quickly and see if this sounds familiar. So at the time, this is uh, Tower of Babel. At that time, the people in the, uh, of the whole world spoke one language, right? Uh, and they, as, the, as they used the same word and the same language, as the people migrated to the east, they found the plain in Babylon, uh, Babylonia, and they settled there. They began to say to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. What are they taking? They're taking the raw materials of the earth, and they're using technology, fire that they somehow discovered, right? And then all of a sudden, here they are, and they're hardening the bricks with fire. In this region, they were instead of the stone and tar, which is used for mortar. So prior to this, any building that they build, they would take bricks, and they would either cut it or break it in half, and take the tar, and they would join them together. Does that seem like it's going to be equal and level and easy to build and reduplicate? Probably not, right? Think about Stonehenge and stuff like that. Like, it's not going to be necessarily easy. So they said, let's come build this great city for us and take the tower and reach it into the skies. In their mindset, the earth was humans and the skies were above, which is heaven's space. They thought they could climb and get to God. Not to be with God. Here's why, right? This will make us famous and keep us and have a great name for ourselves. And then we won't be scattered around the, around the earth. They thought they could do this for their own namesake, not to be with God. Why we do what we do actually matters, right? And think about this. We've taken bricks from technology. And when I was in Israel, we watched the brick-making process. And it's been the same process for thousands of years. If it's not broken, don't fix it, right? This is something we in America could easily could adopt. We fix things that aren't broken all the time. Look, 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 look at all the accomplishments we had. When, uh, when I worked at Toyota, we had this process called the Kaizen process where we would try to improve it over and over again, and we would give you points if you did this, and sometimes you could cash them in. And we had this guy who, who was notorious, and he earned, ended up getting like a 2010 brand-new truck because he would take a trash can from this side of the assembly line to the other, assembly, uh, other side and be like, I saved 10 seconds. No, you didn't. You just moved it from one side. And so we'd have to do the time study. We had to verify it all. And over and over again, we see this. And so this is part of our process, right? We love these accomplishments that we get and stuff like that. And part of what we have to understand is, yes, we should take the raw materials, and yes, we should actually capture these things, but why we do what we do matters. How, like, what's the technology of a brick? Now it seems like it's so far away, but for them, it was like the latest and greatest technology. 
Think about it in our own world. What's our latest and greatest technology? AI. It's going to take over the world, isn't it? So now, like, now there's lawsuits over AI and imaging and stuff like that and trying to figure out what's, what's generated, what's not generated. Court systems are trying to figure out what's, what's video proof anymore and all this because it's starting to really kind of take over stuff. So <clears throat> part of what we need to understand is why we do what we do. And if we don't necessarily get that clear, it could easily get screwed up for us. So should we love technology? Yeah, I'm not Amish. Either are you. Well, I guess maybe if you're here, you could make that decision yourself. But <clears throat> I'm going to guess you're not Amish either, right? That you like technology. And so something, how, we have to figure this out. How do we actually balance this and stuff like that? Uh, here's the deal. As a pastor, I have this tension every week when I create a sermon. Majority of what I'm going to say is not going to impact majority of your life. It could easily get filed into a position or category for your own life of like, I'll get to that later, right? Teaching you to read the Bible, teaching us how to pray, teaching us how to live in community, whatever that means and stuff like that. All of that could easily just get into a file like, I can do this in five to ten minutes a day. Does that make sense? And we have 24 hours in a day, you have just as much time as I do. In an entire week, you have 168 hours in a week. This one hour, is that really going to make the biggest deal for your, one, for your entire week? It could, it could not. But at attention, I know you're going to spend at least 40 hours in a week, uh, in a, in a work, workplace, right? And so I know, okay, so how do I write a sermon that is going to impact your work? How do I write a sermon that's going to impact your family? How do I write a sermon that's going to impact other parts of your life other than just your spiritual life. And we look at things and we try to compartmentalize it like a lunch tray, don't we? Here's my Sunday morning, here's my Monday, here's all this other stuff. Uh, and so we just try to put everything in little boxes. And as a, as a pastor, everything that I've been taught is, hey, just stick to the spiritual stuff. That, like that was the majority of my schooling was like, just teach them about like everybody's going to care about their spiritual life. And majority of the people I've learned as pastors, they don't care about their spiritual life. Part of my job and my challenge is how do I get you to care about your spiritual life? But in the last few years, how do I, how do I get you to know that everything out in your life is your spiritual life? We like to have everything compartmentalized, like these little boxes here and there, and really your life is more like spaghetti. Everything is intertwined. Everything's kind of mixed in. Everything is just kind of there and stuff like that. And so that's part of this process. And so part of what we, I want us to understand is that the power of the gospel is that it's going to, everything... Everything in the gospel can change everything in your life, even your work. The Celtic theologians have this, this, talk, this, this phrase that when they would walk into a place, have you ever gone to a place and you're like, whoa, it feels like God's presence is right here. Like, and what they would call that is a thin place. The veil of God's the, the heaven space and earth space is so thin that it's almost saturating the place. And my challenge that I have in the last few years is how do we get to our workplaces to be like that? How can you get your, wherever you're at, how do you get to the, the space that you're in to feel like a thin place? It's easy to recognize when, whoa, God's presence is not here at all, right? <clears throat> and I, I remember sitting in a, uh, we were in, uh, one of the worst jobs I've ever had was an RV, I was a uh, forklift driver for an RV factory, Keystone RV factory. I despise that place. Which, by the way, I would never recommend you buy an RV, uh, especially one built on a Friday. Look for the manufacturing date or right before a holiday break. Just don't do it. Anyway, but I remember walking in there just thinking, I hate and despise not just the place, but majority of the people that I work with. 
and God had to check me. Like, they all had ankle bracelets on, and I remember they had an ankle bracelet party. If you don't know what that is, ask your parents or Google it. Um, but basically, they're all off parole, and they're like, we're going to the bar, we're going to go do this, and you want to come? I was like, no way. He was like, and I was just like, it was like this whole celebration, and what, like, they threatened me the entire week, and then they got off of parole, and they're like, let's go to the bar. I was like, I'm not putting myself where I'm surrounded by all of you. You know what I mean? Like, and I, wasn't, I was just literally the forklift driver. Um, and they would, they would do disgusting things all the time uh, in there. And so I was just like, no, I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm good. And it's easy to think that churches are thin places too, but they're not. Churches are just as corrupt. Churches are just as cynical. And it's so easy to think, oh, no, it's, it's a building of God. No. God never said he'd bless a building. He said he'd bless a people. So let's talk about that. Let's get into that theology. But here's what I want us to do today. How do, we get our, how do we get our workplaces to feel like a thin place? How do we get our workplaces, no matter where you and I are, we get to feel like it's a thin place and stuff like that? Uh, the challenge is we all hate our jobs, according to stats. I read study after study about this, and here's one from CNBC, uh, whatever it is. Uh, 60% of Americans are emotionally detached while they're at work. They're going through the motions like they're zombies. 60% of us, right? 19% of Americans are miserable at your work. And you're like, yes, please, every Thursday, right? Only 33% of us uh, in an American feel engaged at their work. Like, that's awesome, right? Two-thirds of us are disengaged. 50% of us are stressed out at high levels where we actually need help to get through a work day. Some form of medication or some form of things I'll just put it that way. Some is self, some is prescribed to us. However, we get through it. 41% of us uh, are worried or scared about the security and our job safety. Like, you feel like you're going to get fired every time you leave. 22% of Americans are sad about the work that they do. Have you ever done your work and you're, like, sad? Yeah. I remember, so I'm going to get into technical. So um, we were changing the radiator fin pitch, which is, like, the little lines on a radiator. And... I remember asking the engineer, like, why do we have to change the fin pitch, the, the, the gaps in the, in the spacing here? And he was like, oh, they're being plugged every time they go into the desert. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, it just kind of, like, intrigued me. This is like 2010, 2011. And he goes, well, the sequoias are being used by private, uh, indus- uh, private security companies. And then every time they go into the desert, they're being plugged up by the sand. And I was like... So I started asking more questions, and my engineer looked at me, he's like, stop asking questions. <laughs> and it made me sad, because it realized I was, selling, I was building a car that was going to our enemies in the war. And it just like broke my heart of like, the work I'm doing here is actually being used against Americans. Does that make sense? Uh, one time we've, I realized that the, the products we were using were being collected by slaves with the rubber shortage. And I remember asking my engineer, can we, or my purchasing agency, can we buy any, can we get rubber from any other place? And he was like, no. And I was like, ugh. It just felt, like I felt disgusting in that work. Does that make sense? Um, and so here's, 18% of us are angry. As you do your work, you're mad about the work you do. Does that sound like a great condition for American work? Right? It's not. And so it's easy to think, oh, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. It's just work. 
But here's the deal. When God looks at you and I, he, he's not just saying you're human beings. We're also part of what we actually do makes up who we are. That's part of what we're doing. Like When God created us, he did not say, okay, now that you've sinned, now you'll have to work. Think about the creation account. He made us. He made humans, right? Day six. Now, when in the in the creation account, when he says the good like those days, that's the same day. It's a twenty-four hour day, but it's also the same day as an era. How we have the phrase "good old days." Yeah. It's the same thing. Same concept here. So, I love it when church people get debates about like little twenty-four hours or not twenty-four hours. You're missing the point. You're meant to rule. Stop worrying about these little details and get to ruling. Nobody talks about that. So anyway, we'll, like, we'll get into that debate. So I don't care what you, however you fall on this whole 24 hours or literal or whatever. I don't really care. Whatever you're doing, make sure you're doing what God has actually asked you to do, which is to rule and subdue and to create culture. And the culture that you create should feel like a thin place. It should feel like heaven and earth are overlapping. Not, was a 24 hours literal day. No, who cares? Get into this part, right? Like, let's talk about this. And so part of what we have to get our mindset around is, is God has asked us to work pre-sin. That work is not a punishment because of sin. It's part of who we are as a human. And it takes maturity to actually go through this. Now, we talk about why we actually started a church is to help people lead, lead people in a maturing relationship with Jesus. That's what we want to do. And what that looks like is it's a, it's a growth in our character and in our competency. Like what you're actually doing. And if we don't actually grow in this, we stay mature. Or we, start, we stay immature. We stay as a little toddler. And we've seen this before, right? We've seen 40-year-old men who act like 10-year-olds. We've seen it in presidents. We've seen it in business companies. We've seen it in pastors. We've seen it in all these other kind of people. You don't have to like point and like, if you're sitting next to that person you're thinking about, don't let them know that. Just sit there and smile. It's going to be okay, right? This is all part of it. Now, we know what it looks like when people grow in their competency and their characters lacking. We have thousands of examples like that. You have affairs, you have televangelists. You guys who don't know who televangelists are, there's this thing called the TV. And at like midnight, they'd come on with a white hanky and they'd preach and they'd dab their little sweat brow and stuff like that. And then they'd ask for your money, right? My mom still watches this and sends money in. I'm like, mom, come on. And she's like, well, he asked me to do it. I'm like, whatever, I'm not going to get into it. And I won't even tell you the names of who, who she's watching, but it's still there. So we've seen all this, right? Like we worked at like our first church, our first full-time ministry down in Florida was like sin after sin after sin of the, of the pastors. And I was like, what the heck? Once we got into it, it was like, we should have known all these details before we got here. You know what I mean? Like that would have changed something, but it didn't. So we've seen all this. And it's not just church world, it's business world. It's all this other stuff and stuff like that. But what happens when you have great character, but you don't grow in your competency? And we think, oh, yeah, you're just a nice person. Look at all, awesome, yeah. But are we called to be just good people? Not according to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We're actually called to create the culture that that would be God-honoring. And the way that we create our culture is also in the work that we do. And it's part of this process we need to understand how we actually do this. God cares more about your work ethic and your work hours and stuff like that more than you think. He does not see, there's no word in the Hebrew scripture, Hebrew word for spiritual. Everything is spiritual to them. 
everything like inter, inter, intertwines and stuff like that. It's all connected. But we don't necessarily think of it like that. We think, oh, I show up for one hour on a Sunday morning, check the box, and we go on. I do my Bible time, I do my prayer time, and then we can cuss and treat everybody like crap around, the, like, around us, don't we? Well, I mean, at least I used to think that. Like last week, I thought that, right? So it's part of this process that we have to understand how we actually do our work matters. And the way that we do our work actually impacts other people around us. And the, like, we get to live into this reputation that we, that we want, right? And it's horrible to think, oh, I'm just a good person, but I really suck at my job, right? And if you work with somebody who sucks at their job, you understand this, that you're constantly going back around. I remember we had this guy <clears throat> who worked, worked on the assembly line. He was a great guy, funny, amazing, but he missed a bolt every single time. He'd get three out of four bolts. And so then we'd shut the line down. We'd have to have an inspection. We'd have to do all this. I'm like, dude, can you not count to four? And he had to like say it nicely with a smile. Can you not count to four? Right? And he would cry, and I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so... And I'm like, yeah, you should be. You know why? Because we're stopping the line every half hour. Just count to four and make sure you can count to four on the bolts. And, and he was like, we'd have to have this conversation. Now, here's the deal. Christians, the studies I read about those stats, it doesn't say if it was Christians or non-Christians. But here's the deal. I've worked with great Christians who have great work ethics, and I've worked with Christians who have horrible work ethics. We're not exclusive. Like, like, we actually need to get better at our work ethics as Christians. I don't expect people who are non-Christians to, to live and work the same way Christians do. I just changed my expectations. Does that make sense? I also expect high school students to be high school students. Are they going to make mistakes? Absolutely. Are they going to do everything perfectly? Probably not, right? But as we mature, should we constantly make those same mistakes over and over again? Probably not. So as, you, as we mature in this, it's going to change and stuff like that. One of, one of the things we, we think about when it comes to work is that God doesn't really care about it. Well, let me just read a definition. One of the greatest theologians of our generation, here's what he says. Work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and the people in particular thrive and to flourish. Let me read that again. That work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and the people in particular to thrive and to flourish. Does that sound like a great definition of work that we can get into? So instead of just saying, well, I'm just a barista. No, you're not just a barista. You're rearranging the raw materials, God's glorious coffee beans, with some hot water and some flavor so other people can thrive and to flourish. Does that make sense? You're not just a truck driver. You're taking manufactured things, goods. Let's say toilet paper, for example. Anyone remember the shortage of toilet paper in 2020? Taking raw materials of God's good earth and somehow making so that everybody has toilet paper. And truck drivers are crucial in that. You're not just a stay-at-home parent. You're taking the schedules and the energies and the time and all of that to rearrange it to, be, to make a God-honoring culture and to benefit the child and your family. You're not just a nurse. You're taking the information. You're taking the medical conditions. You're taking all this to make people feel welcomed and all that. You're, stop saying you're just a fill-in-the-blank. And on the flip side, you've never mere, met just a mere human. Every human you've met is made in the image of God and should be treated with value, dignity, and worth. And if not, then there's something wrong with you, not with that other person. Now, does that mean they have consequences? Yeah. 
But you're not the judge and the jury. You're just the simple, you can still treat them with, with value, dignity, and worth no matter what, right? Our first calling as a Christian is to create a God-honoring culture. The second calling for every Christian is to make disciples. But how you work is how you're going to create those, that, that, that culture, that God-honoring culture. Does that make sense? So uh, in order for us to be kings and queens, we have to actually have a kingdom. Does that make sense? Dallas Willard, this other brilliant theologian of our day, the last generation, says this, that the kingdom is the, is the, effective range, the range of your effective will to be done. We each have a, a range that our effective will can be carried out into. It may be your desk, and that's about all you have. Maybe a truck. Maybe a classroom. Maybe an office cubicle. But you have this range, this space, where you can have your will be carried out. So as your will is being carried out, is it being carried out in a God-honoring way? Or is it being carried out in a way that makes you look good? And you don't have to look good by tearing other people down. That's a great way to just get, like, people know who you are when that happens. Constantly. Does that make sense? But each of us have a range and, a, and a, an effective will to be, to be carried out. Whether it's in your house, whether it's in your place that you work, and all of that. No matter what, how you treat people matters to God as well. How you do your work matters to God as well. And what does that look like for us to carry that out? Um, so, let me just get into it. So, <clears throat> Raj is going to throw some pictures up. So, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, where God meets his people is in a garden. Right? After that, it's met in a tabernacle. From Moses on to Solomon, it's met in this tent. Right? So that's where all this takes place, and you just kind of see this tent being talked about. It would be like torn down. They would sew it and fix it and all that. From Solomon until 70 AD, God met his people in a temple, or temples based on how you want to look at it. Does that make sense? Because Babylonians destroyed it, Rome destroys it, and stuff like that. So it's kind of going to be rebuilt and stuff like that. From 70 AD until now, where is God meeting his people? in a church. Not in a little steeple and they open up and I see all the people. Like, not that whole thing, if you remember that from Sunday school, right? The church is the word ekklesia in the Greek, which means a group of people who have been called out. At no place and from that point on is it about just a building. It's about you and I. And wherever we go, we carry the Holy Spirit with us. And wherever we go, we get, to, we get to saturate the space and the place with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So how do we do that? Well, let me just read through some verses really quickly to wrap this up, okay? So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this guy named Paul, he's writing this, and here's what he says. He's writing to this group of people who really sucked at being good Christians. And here's what it says. Um, all of this, he's talking about salvation, is a gift from God, who brought us back and bought, himself, bought us back to himself through Christ. The payment and the punishment of all of this has been paid for, all of our sins and stuff like that, on the cross with the blood of Christ. The gospel itself is that, yes, there's this moment where everything's been paid for, the penalties have been paid for, and all of that, and we are free from the penalty of sin. But here's three things we need to recognize. We've been reconciled to God through the blood of Christ, Second thing is that we have to stay in a relationship with Christ. 
John chapter 15, verse 5 says this, if we stay in the vine, like we stay connected, he'll stay with us. He's not going to abandon us. Does that make sense? And so we're part of this process. We have to stay in there. The third thing is that when, when we have been reconciled, then we stay in relationship, and then we represent him. Back to 2 Corinthians, here's what it says. God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. He's going to find people who don't know him and reconciling them back. Now, you're not buying anything back. Christ has already bought people back with his blood. Does that make sense? You and I just now are his, his ambassadors. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave this ministry of reconciliation to all of us as well. And this is part of what we have to understand, is that when you and I show up to work, where we spend 40 hours a week, we're not just there to get a paycheck. We're there to be reconciled to him, to, rep- to stay in relationship with him, but also to represent him as well. So as your coworkers have questions, they should look at you and say, man, you have such a great work ethic. You have such a great way of taking care of people. You have such a great way of dealing with people. And I feel like I'm in the presence of God around you. Would that be said about you? Or would it be said, man, all they do is complain. All they do is whine. They try to get out 15 minutes early, five minutes early. And if we really wanted to talk about it, we could talk about stealing from our companies. Five-minute breaks turn into 10-minute breaks or whatever. You know what I mean? But are we really representing God when we show up? Are we representing him well enough that people feel like, man, I'm in a thin place here. I'm in a place where God is here. I can't answer that. I'm not going to follow each of you around and be like, oh, that's a horrible way of living your life. Holy Spirit will do that with, with you. Does that make sense? But how you do your work matters. Let's pray. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for who you are and everything you've done for us. God, thanks that you care not just about our spiritual life and our Sunday mornings and all this other stuff, but God, you care about how we actually live our lives every single day. And God, thanks for people here in this room and people watching later on uh, as they go and represent you well. That the places of Maryville and the places of Northwest Indiana will be changed because of the people who are going in to represent you well. That as we interact with people, as we talk with people, we are representing you well and loving you and caring for you. And how we love others is a reflection of how we love you. So God, help us to love others well. And where we really struggle and we really suck at it, God, would you give us grace to cover up our failures? And would you change our desires? Would you change how we want to do things and why we want to do things so it would be an honoring way for you? We love you, God. So you we pray this. Amen. Well, hey, we'd love to connect with you. If you need prayer for anything, I'll be back by the green wall. The gingerbread house is now gone, so we have to go back to the green wall. Um, but <clears throat> so I'll be back there. If you're new with us, we'd love to connect with you at guest services. We have a gift for you as well. And I hope you know this, that God loves you and I love you. And as we follow him, we'll count it the best he has to offer for us. So let's go and be the church. Have a good week. See you next Sunday.